Welcome to episode number 43 of Talking Mopars. On today's show, we have returning guest Johnny Mopar for another installment of Direct Connections. Johnny's a good buddy of mine, and sometimes we like to get together and just talk Mopars, and that's exactly what we did on this show. The language gets a little bit colorful, so if you have young ones, make sure they're wearing those earmuffs, all right? So, without further ado, if you are a Mopar enthusiast and you are in the right place, don't go anywhere. You're tuned into the best Mopar enthusiast-driven podcast on planet Earth, and I am your host, Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter, and this is Talking Mopar's Direct Connections. You're listening to Talking Mopars with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Ladies and gentlemen, once again back on Talking Mopars, my friend and yours, Johnny Mopar. Johnny, welcome back to Talking Mopars, buddy. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Chris. It was fun last time. Look forward to doing it again. Absolutely. Anytime. It's always a good time when we get uh, myself and Johnny Mopar on. And, you know, this was a last minute, you know, Johnny reached out to me and said, hey, what are you doing? I said, I'm trying to figure out what this week's podcast is going to be about. And he saved the day. So <laughs> we're just going to uh, talk Mopars and have a good time. So, Johnny, from what I understand, you have some trivia for me. I do. I'd like to kick it off and talk some trivia. Right there. Let's, All right, let's cool. drop some knowledge on these folks. So my buddy, John Jones, right? The guy that I got uh, General Mayhem from. Uh, the guy that's painted my coronet. He's the guy that painted my 72 charger that I didn't want. Uh, anyway, good buddy. He's a, he's a body and paint guy. Awesome fabricator. Um, he's had the privilege of working on Superbirds and Daytonas before. In fact, John's one of those kind of guys that can just build shit on his own, right? He doesn't, need to buy the parts and he won't, he won't spend the money. He'll build his own nose and wing and everything. Anyways, a buddy of his had a super bird that he restored. He painted and he took like, like, uh, I guess like a stencil of all of the panels so that he can remake them, you know? So like blade paper over the nose, let's say stenciled it. So he has the right dimension so he could cut his own sheet metal and make his own nose cone, make his own wing, you know, all the brackets and stuff like that. He's got all that stuff. But anyway, one of the cool things he told me that I never knew. Okay, so, you know, a 70 Superbird, the nose on that car, the fenders on that car are from a, you probably know this, 70 uh, Cornet. Cornet, yeah. Right? They're Dodge Cornet yeah. fenders on there. Yeah. So if you where to follow the top edge of the fender as it gets to where the chrome bumper is, the very top of the fender kind of dips down to where, and then it flows into the, the bumper, you know, the bumblebee uh, bumper wraparound bumpers on each grill of a 70. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about yeah. the B now of a 70 okay. super B. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You so we're confused there for a second, but I, I got you. I'm, I'm sorry. Bumbling. In fact, I, I kind of like, Drew a sketch, so it's not going to be good for your guys that are just listening. Let's see if okay, I can. Let me see. What do you got here? Let's see if I can figure this out. Okay, so let me get my finger. So this is the fender, right okay. here. As it dips down, this is where the bumper would begin on a B. But okay. on a Superbird, the Superbird, the nose comes off of that fender, and the very tip, the very top tip 
of the fender is uh, leaded. They leaded it so that it flowed. The fender flows into the nose cone. Oh. Yeah. Now, if you own a Super B and you've restored one, you've sanded that fender down, you probably know that. But if you don't, like most of us, most of us don't have uh, Super Birds. I'm sorry, Super Birds. Sure. Uh, you wouldn't know that. I never knew yeah. that. My oh, buddy no. John told me about me. that. Yeah. And then wow. at the uh, Spring Fling Car Show out here in California, it's the biggest Mopar show we have out here, which is small compared to the guys, you know, like in the Midwest. But sure. there was a blue, a beautiful blue Superbird there. And I happened to be looking at this car and I'm looking at that area of the fender to the nose cone. And on one side of the car, it flowed perfectly like from the fender to the nose cone. And on the other side of the car, the tip of the fender like dipped down like that fender had been replaced. That fender came off of a Coronet or Super B, not original to the Super Bird. So I was like, damn, freaking John knows this shit. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it. I wasn't going to point it out to the owner because <laughs> the car was already restored, you know. You but, would have fooled me. That's yeah, right. and it's so subtle. I mean, the amount, the distance you're talking is so tiny that, you know, to the regular person that you wouldn't even know. You're so in awe looking at a Superbird. You would never notice something like that. But, yeah, sure. it was there. Interesting. Wow. Now yeah. I'm going to be looking at every Superbird. Like biting yeah. my tongue when I, oh, they didn't do it right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so very interesting. If we're live on Facebook, right? And there's so people I, out there or no? I thought I thought about this for a second and I was like, okay. oh, we're both wearing headphones and uh, my audio is only going through the headphones so they wouldn't be able to hear us. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> so fo okay. folks, in case you're wondering what I'm talking about here, I was going to go live on Facebook and take your questions, but there's no audio that you guys would be able to hear. You'd only be able to hear me whenever I talk. So it would be kind of weird. So I'm going to have to figure something else out for that uh, the next time Johnny and I talk. But I, I thought it was going to be a good idea. And I was like, oh, that's not going to work. I was just thinking about it, actually, after we started. I was like, oh, they're not going to be able to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> I All right. Completely went over my head. I wasn't even thinking about that. But we'll figure it out next time. Well, if there's anybody out there listening to this and they have a super bird and they know this stuff. I think they should reach out to Chris and let him know, like confirm or deny that this is true. I can't say for myself, I've, I don't own a Superbird and I've never sanded a fender down on one to tell you, but uh, John knows a lot of stuff and he's, he's restored them. So he knows. So it'd be kind of interesting to get some confirmation from others that might have a Superbird. Yeah, that's, I never even, I would, the thought would have never even crossed my mind. Right. And what honest. if what if you bought one next weekend and you're like, man, I got to restore this thing, but this crushed fender, I have to replace it. I'll go find me a coronet fender and you restored it without letting that tip, you know, the tip of the fender yeah. in. That would be terrible. Yeah, <laughs> so we, we, we might have saved somebody. Yeah. Um, yeah, that'll uh, that's going to be something now that people are going to when they see a bird. They're going to look, look at it. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> I and did. I know there's, there's a guy out there that's going to be the jerk. That's going to be like, hey, <laughs> <laughs> this thing this isn't fender. original. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cornet fender, huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's oh, a, wow. That'll, 
I'm sure I know that there's a couple guys that have restoration shops that listen to this show because I've talked to them. So we'll see if they reach out. I don't know if they've ever worked on any birds, but I guess we'll find out. Um, cool. So, yeah, those of you listening, if uh, you know something about that, reach out to me and uh, we'll talk about it again on the show. So. All right. Very cool. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I never even God, Dude, it never would have crossed my mind. That's the crazy. It's just part of the crazy stuff. I mean, like there's other stuff with those cars like, you know, the the super birds all had vinyl tops on them, you know, to hide the plug in the back window. Right. Mm. You know, it's kind of a weird thing. And then the Daytonas. Well, there's like supposedly one or two Daytonas that got vinyl tops. Right. Really? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think there was one or two. I, I don't know. There's probably a lot of arguing back and forth whether they were, you know, original from the factory or not, but um, or if they were added on later, you know. But I've seen I've seen arguments and I've seen some pictures of them with vinyl tops. It's like one or two known to have them. Interesting. And then I'm have to look that up. Yeah, be kind of interesting. And a segue to that because I did talk to you about this. So around, I want to say it was around 2008, 2010, you know, I work for a, um, it's a medical device company. I'm a technician on the line. We do, I do line support stuff, right? And the supervisor of this line, <clears throat> I've been working for him, with him for a while. Um, we support the same line. He's the guy that's telling everybody what to do, but he, I don't report to him. I report to the engineering side of the production line, right? And then out of the blue one day, because he knows I like Mopars. It's no big secret. Everybody there knows what I'm into. You know, it's usually T-shirts have got something on them. Sure. Um, and he goes, he tells me one day, he goes, you ever hear of a little place called Creative Industries? And I'm like... Are you kidding me? Yeah, I've heard of creative industry. Like to hear somebody layman like out of the Mopar world even mention that, it's like that's such a, a small little niche, you know? Yeah. The average guy doesn't know what creative industry is about. If you if you're a Mopar person, you probably do, especially if you're into Daytona's, right? Oh, especially. And, I, right. I don't know about the modern guys. I don't know if they yeah. know that, but well, the older school guys for sure. Sure. So this guy goes on to tell me that he goes, yeah, my uh, my best friend when I was a kid, his dad worked at Creative Industries as a painter. So like they would do all kinds of stuff, but they were they were the ones getting the Daytona. So, you know, I think uh, when Chrysler would send them the cars, they would send them just the car and then they were putting the nose and the wings on the car and they were painting them to match the rest of the car, you know. And uh, I think he said that I, I can't remember exactly. I don't know if it was another friend, but he was like in that area, you know, Woodward Street. They he would he told me I can't remember if it was the same guy and somehow he was connected. But one of his buddies' dads worked at um, AMC, and he says, "Yeah, they would give us the keys to like the AMX and go out there on Woodward Street and just street race with it." And he's like, it was, it was badass. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> like, what are the odds? This guy's older guy in California working on a production line with me, you know, it's, it's just a small world. It's crazy how, you know, if I went to Michigan or something like that, you know, I'd 
probably be like, oh, okay, I can run into somebody, right? But being all the way out in California, it's like, I don't know, it's crazy. But yeah, his yeah, of, of all the places too, it's like yeah, the, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, really cool. yeah, it was pretty awesome. He would say stuff like, yeah, they would they would bounce around, you know, like he says we work at Ford him and his buddies be like a circle of buddies. He's like, we worked there one year and then we moved on. So we'd be like, yep. One of us would go, Hey, it's up. Hey, we're out of here. They'd all quit at the same day and they'd walk out and then they'd go work someplace else at another factory. You know, it's like, (laughs) you guys are crazy. Yeah. But yeah. Gosh, what, what a cool place to work. Like I think about that a lot. Like a lot of the historical Mopar, like, dick landy industries yeah you know there's just so many amazing places that existed then that don't exist now that are it's like wow that would be a really cool place to work in the heyday of yeah you know mopars there was another guy i worked with this this would have been back in like probably between 92 94 um and he's a little he's older than me he's he's i'd say now he's probably in his mid to late 50s now but as a kid i think i'm not sure i think it was either as an intern or or right out of school or while he was going to school he worked at keith black i mean this guy was really sharp he was a sharp engineer where I, where i worked but i mean as a kid he was working at keith black in fact i never saw the motor but he he had an aluminum block Keith Black Hemi that he got from working there, you know, it's like, dude, how sweet would that be? <laughs> Was that like the yearly bonus as you get an aluminum Hemi? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if he snuck it out the back door. I don't know if he bought it. I don't know if he worked it off. You know, I have no idea. I didn't get into those kinds of questions. It was a long time ago, but uh, and I've I've come across him a few times over the years. I haven't seen him in probably over ten years now. But um, yeah, I always bring it up. It's like you still got that Hemi. He's like, yeah, yeah. I got to find a car to put that in. Like maybe yeah, a road mine. Runner. Yeah, put it in mine. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Wow. That's see, some guys have all the luck. You know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just. I grew up in the wrong era. That's all there is to it. I say it all the time, but I still oh, hold man. true that I, I wish I could go back. Like sometimes I'll watch the movie Tulane Blacktop. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorites with the exception of, I wish it was a Mopar, not a 55 Chevy. Yeah. But you know, I'll deal with it because it's got some really cool racing scenes. Um, the and then first the- one in the opening credits and then the drag race uh, yeah. in the middle of the movie. It's just, so that cool. 70 chargers coming up and riding his bumper. Remember that? I, uh, you know what I need? I need to find a film company because I would love to rewrite that movie oh, and do God. it all over again. But That'd like, cool. you know, obviously it would be a period piece because it would yeah. just have to be redone. You know, I'm like, okay, no Chevys this time. Let's do, <laughs> <laughs> Let's do something else. But I, I love I, I think the story could be redone. And, you know, they're remaking every movie that has ever been made. So you might yeah. make a cult classic, you know? Yeah. yeah. But that's just another one of my pipe dreams. that will never happen. <laughs> hey, you never know. You never know. The, the, the sucky thing is, is like some of the greats, like uh, the Dukes of Hazard, of course. I, I don't know. I grew up on that. So 
you know, when you see the remakes of it, it's like, God, it's, it, they suck in comparison. Like I hate how they just change the characters, you know, and change the storyline. I, I don't know. It's like, why can't you just like keep it wholesome, make it how it was and just make it now, you know, or maybe it's the grandkids or the kids of Bo and Luke Duke or something like that. You know, uh, that would be cool actually. Yeah. I like that idea. Um, yeah. You know, there's another movie that was one of my childhood favorites and that was uh, the cannonball run. Love the cannonball movies. And I think they could, yeah. I think they could reimagine that movie or those movies and, you know, kind of bring them up to date, you know, same type of premise though. I, I like the comedy aspect of it. Cause sometimes you just need a fun, goofy movie that has some cars in it, you know, and fast and yeah. the furious doesn't cut it for me. It was fun when I was 16, but yeah, now that I'm older, I'm like, uh, the, the best part about the movie was the charger, you know? And yeah. sometimes they bring in the, the, uh, resto mod Mopars that are pretty cool. But yeah, other than that, it's like, okay, I, you know, how much unrealistic action do I want to watch? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Before it gets old, but yeah. Well, and it, it just, it got more and more extreme. Like the first one was bad enough, right? It's like the fake blower, you know, and the pulling the wheelie. It's like, ah, <laughs> uh, but all right, I'll like it anyways, you know? Yeah. And then it's like, then it kind of goes CGI after that, the later ones. And it's just like so extreme racing through caves and stuff. It's like, yeah, <laughs> well, it was, it was so disappointing to me for the first one because when they first see the charger you know toretto's got the hood off of it or open oh yeah and you can see that badass. It's, a, it's a hemi and yeah. you're like oh wow they actually got a hemi charger for this yeah. I mean, obviously it's completely custom but you know blown hemi it's like wow and then you find out that oh that was just a prop yeah and they just used it for that one scene yeah it's like as a mopar guy you're kind of crushed and you're like what yeah yeah <laughs> It is what it is, but, uh, hey, you know, um, man, I got another segue for you since, right, since we're talking about this and it's going to cool. touch, it's going to, it's going to touch on, since we're talking movies, touch okay. a little bit on American graffiti and it's okay. going to touch a little bit on fast and the furious. Okay. Okay. So th this could probably be its own episode if you want to cut it at the end and then we could start another one or something but so all right i'm uh i'm cruising around this is we lived in romaland at the time this is where i lived when um uh Freiburger came and got general mayhem from me so i lived around there um that would have been around we moved there around 2006 so between 2006 to 2012 i want to say it was probably closer to 2010 ish but um there's a 70 roadrunner that i see around the corner and it's like it looks like it's b5 blue it's pretty patinaed thought, oh man that thing's cool should ask to see if it's for sale right but it just never worked out and then uh the next time i see the car the car is sublime green I'm like, holy shit, he painted it. Okay. I'm like, well, I already know it's more expensive than what I can afford, you know? And I've always wanted to kind of bullshit with the guy, but it just never worked out. And it was never always there. It was just every now and then it would be parked in front of this house around the corner from my house, right? And then one day I'm getting gas at AMPM and the freaking Roadrunner is in there, the Sublime Roadrunner sitting there. And, uh, oh, I'm sorry, Limelight, you know. <laughs> we're gonna get mopar guys pissed <laughs> limelight and so i start 
BSing with him. He's a pretty young guy. And uh, talk about his car a little bit. And I don't know how we got on the subject, but he starts telling me that um, he goes, yeah, the, the Charger from the Fast and the Furious, that was, that was our car. That was my dad's and my car. And we sold it to the studio. I think it was Universal Studio. We stole, sold yeah. it to the studio. Um, it was actually, he said it was actually, a, I think it was a 383 car, you know, bone stock. And he says they put the fake blower on the hood and stuff like that. So the car that actually got rolled was his car or his dad's car. And I was like, oh, no shit. And I'm like, what a, what a small world, right? And then I, I asked him where he lived. And he says, because I'm like, yeah, I see you around the corner, but, you know, it's not all the time. I go, do you live there? And he goes, no, it's a buddy of mine's house. I just come by and visit every now and then. And he's like, I live over here. And he describes this house, like, or where this house is. And I'm like, dude, I think I met your dad before from years ago, right? And he goes, yeah. And so I, I said, did your dad used to have a 55 Chevy from uh, American Graffiti, the, the Harrison Ford car? And, he, and then I go, did he have like a, a Rolls Royce that was supposedly one of the royalties car from England or something like that? And, and he goes, yeah, dude, that's, that's my dad. That's our place. And I go, no shit. I'm like, so going way back in time, I had bought, I'd found two chargers out in Hemet. And somehow I can't remember how I got a hold of the guy, but I, he had a really bitchin' clean 68 with the 318 in it and then he had a 69 that had a bunch of parts missing on it so i bought the 69 charger for 300 bucks the other car um i think he wanted like i want to say it was like two grand or something like that you know it was really nice though it was complete like this thing was missing nothing all i had to do is get it running and drive it and so Long story short, I dragged the 69 home. I, I think I worked something out with the guy where I had some parts that I was, it was part of the trade. So I got the charger really cheap. And I think he wanted to turn the 68 into a 69. And that's why the 69, the 69 was the parts car. He was going to cut the tail panel and parts, take the parts off of the 69 to put on the 68, right? And I'm like, no, dude, don't do that. And I, I had already, <laughs> I'd already cut up a '69 um, that I had gotten from some guy at work. If you saw pictures of it, it had like a missing front clip. The guy was gonna, he cut the wheel wells out of it. It was black, rusty top. It was rusted through. Anyway, long story short, I cut that car up and I cut the tail panel off of it, right? And so that was one of the parts that I owed to this guy. But he'd never collect. He would every he would always call me, you know, every few months or so. And it was like, oh, this guy liked to just shoot the shit, you know, and he was doing all the talking. But he was just sort of like he's keeping that little line going. You know, he didn't want me to fade out. It's like I, I owed him those parts. So one day he calls me and he tells me, hey, I'm selling the 68 to this guy. And I part of the deal was um, the parts that you owe me have to go to him. And I'm like, okay, cool. And so he asked if I could deliver them. And I'm like, sure, no, no big deal. So this guy lived in Romaland. I went to Romaland and I delivered these parts to this guy, which was this kid's fast forward, this kid's dad. So, and, and in fact, like this kid 
that day when I delivered these parts was like one of the little kids running around in the yard. It's probably like, you know, six or seven years old or something like that. And here he is like, you know, a grown adult now, but, um, he wanted to turn the car into a 69 and then paint it up like the general Lee. And I'm like, man, dude, that's, I go, that 68 is pretty freaking clean. Like I like 68s. I, I would not cut it up and turn it into a nine, but you know, whatever it's his, his deal. So that day I'm there, he actually had a 70 painted up like the general Lee. And, um, he was like, yeah, I'm, uh, it's going to, I can't remember if it was going to Universal Studios or it was coming from Universal Studios. Whatever it was, it was at Universal Studios as just a display car. And I'm like, they, you know, of course, you know, I was a lot younger and it's, I'm a huge Dukes of Hazard fan. It's like, it's the wrong year. It's a 70, you know, yeah. it's like, I can't imagine here you're going to display a 70 charger painted up like the General Lee. Like, I don't know, the hardcore guys are going to know it's wrong, you know, oh, but, yeah. but, uh, yeah, so I'm kind of curious too if you're if there's any listeners out there that were actually at Universal Studios and remember seeing a 70 General Lee there or not. That would be kind of a cool thing to to confirm. But anyways, he start bullshitting with the guy and he's like, "Yeah." He goes, uh, "Well, let me show you something." And he takes me out back and he's got this big barn and inside is this 55 Chevy that is supposedly from American graffiti, you know, all black. It's fucking, it's bitching looking, you know, look badass. Like it looked like a street racer, like the rear wheel. Well, I think was arched and big fat tires and stuff. Now, I don't know if it really was or not, you know, or if it might've been a clone, I'm not sure. But from what I remember, he was saying it was one of the original cars from the movie. See, now I thought that the 55, from two lane blacktop was actually used in American graffiti. Oh, well, that's interesting. I, I never I, heard that. I could, I could be completely wrong here. There could be people listening that are yelling at their radio. <laughs> you <laughs> but idiots. I swear, <laughs> maybe, I mean, there was only 155 in that movie. Yeah. But I, I know yeah. they had a few cars because they, they rolled one. The one they rolled, I think, was just like a, you know, it wasn't. It wasn't all hot rotted out. It was just kind of a plain Jane car. Since we're not going live now, I'm curious. I'm going to see real quick. Let's just go. That's what the power of Google, folks. Let's <laughs> see here. American graffiti. But don't you? I, I swear, Johnny, you were telling me that you have a bunch of CUDA stories to share with us everybody thinks you're the charger guy and you are i mean clearly you just told us yeah. about two more chargers now yeah. wait a sec so the 300 dollars charger that you were just talking about you brought that one home or the two or with the, the other one was a 68 right the yeah i brought home a 69 that was the 300 dollars one the 68 and you, talk, and you talked about that one on the last show that we did together no i've never talked about that one Oh, That's so it was another car. another three hundred dollar charger that you got cool. Yeah, <laughs> I, man, I need to either live where you're at or just send you money and have you go hunting for me because I can't find. <sighs> well, I mean, it's a different world now, Chris. What year was that, buddy? What's that? What year was it that you uh, got that other charger, the three hundred dollar one? 
Oh, shit. Well, I was living in Quail Valley at the time. So that would have been between 96 and 2000. Way after my first charger. Uh, but way before that $300 charger I did talk about. When I bought See? for 300 bucks and then I got my 72 with it. See, yeah, now, then... I just grew up in the, like when I was turning 16 was about 2000, 2001. And Washington must just have sucked for Mopars because I looked and there was <laughs> nothing cheap like that. Cause I, I would have never drove the little POS Honda Civic that I had. I, I would have <laughs> drove a charger or something cool. But yeah, there was nothing around for that cheap. I mean, I remember looking at um, I was really stuck on um, 67 through uh, 69 Barracudas at the time and right in high school, right around driving age. And I was looking and my dad and I looked at a couple different projects and, you know, they were right around the three thousand dollar range mm -hmm. and a couple of them were basket cases. And there was one that uh we found in ballard washington i forget what classifieds we saw it in i think i'm the one who found it and my dad and i went and looked at it and it was a faded primer black and it had the formula s emblems on it 340s on the hood nice. and you know we're like sweet um console shift automatic and you know even though it had faded primer on it it looked pretty straight you know who knows what was really hiding under the paint but pop right. the hood and my dad never got as deep into Mopars as I have now. So if I knew then what I know now, I would have checked the numbers on it to see if it was an original 340 car because the guy wanted three grand for it. And my dad was like, oh, is it a real 340? He didn't know how to determine yeah. if it was a 318 or a 340. And he kept telling me after we left because we didn't bring any cash. It was kind of let's go take a look at it. And uh, the car ran um, and he was telling me on the way home, he's like, ah, I could, it's probably a 318. And I was like, <laughs> well, well, how do you know? Yeah. You know, and he couldn't, he couldn't really answer the, he couldn't really answer the question because he really didn't. He was just assuming that there's no way a 340, you know, Formula S Barracuda. I think it was a 69, I think. Um, what was, what year, grand. what year was this when you were looking at it? Late nineties, early two thousands. So I was okay. probably 14, 15, because I, I started driving in 01. That's when I turned 16. So yeah, it was, it was before that. Cause my dad drove us down there and yeah, it would have to be the late nineties, but yeah. I mean, you know, back then, you know, back then, uh, yeah. you know, it was really hard to find uh running and driving Mopar. Most of the ones that were around were, you know, project yeah. cars. I don't know. I mean, I think I think I got lucky. Where where we moved, we we used to live in LA and we moved out into Riverside County in 96. And I think I mean, when we moved out here, there was a Dodge dealership in Paris, California, which is like the biggest town to close to where my parents lived. And uh I'm thinking that it was probably there since the 60s, you know, and it was just loading up the area full of Mopars because it's, it's somewhat rural out here versus Los Angeles. Like we're, when I was living in LA, 
there was a 69 charger right around the block from our house. I would always drool all over. And of course, uh, it was close to when we were leaving. Cause I, I think it was probably around 90, I'm sorry, 85. We moved out here in 86. I think I said 96, but it's 86. We moved out here. So around just before then, there was a 69 charger green, um, not probably F8 green. And one day the cars got like a big old smack in the quarter panel, like a big crush, you know, big pressure dent on it. Right. Like I know it would have been no big deal just to crawl in the trunk and like kick it out with your feet. And most of that dent would have popped out. Right. And my dad's neighbor friend knew the people that owned that charger. And he came over and he was talking because my dad had already had the blue 68. So we had, he bought that 68 in 1982. Um, so anyways, He's like, hey, that green charger over there, it got dent and it's to them, it's like, it's just not the same anymore because it got hit. And so they want to sell it. And, uh, well, how much? 600 bucks. Running, driving car. That car was driven daily. I That car was a neighborhood car I saw all the time. It was always moving. It was always driving around. It was a daily driver, 318, beautiful car. And I freaking begged my dad, like, dad, I need, I, for my first car, that would be the car, 69 Charger. Nah, it's got a big old dent in it. 600 bucks is too much money. Just like, fuck. You know, and by then I was already, that was my goal in life was to own a second gen Charger, you know? It's like, it was being that close, that close. Like, dad, I would, I'll do whatever. I'll work around the house. I'll, I'll work it off. Please, please. I begged him. He would not, he would not buy it. 600 bucks was just too much money back then, I guess. But different, definitely a different time. Yeah. But if, you know, I know I talk to my dad all the time about, you know, if he could have bought some of the cars that he's ran across in the past. And I can tell that every time we talk about it, he, he just shakes his head because I mean, he, he was telling me a story about his brother's friend who had a 70 Challenger RTSE black on black four speed um, 446 pack car. And he wanted 5,500 for it back in the mid 80s. And that's one car that he still kicks himself over today. Obvi- obviously, 5,500 bucks. I was like, you know how that, much that car is probably worth <laughs> today. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? You're, that was a grip of money back then, though. Oh, yeah, that was a grip. Yeah. Mid 80s. And um, the Superbird in 93 for $18,500. That was another <laughs> one that he lost out on because that's went, ridiculous. I, I, I've, told, I've told this story before. He went home to ask his wife for permission. <laughs> Biggest mistake of his life. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I can't say that I wouldn't have done the same thing, but I can say that I wouldn't have done the same thing. But yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know what? I'm not I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and ask for forgiveness on this one. And I'm going to yeah. buy the Superbird so nobody else buys it. But, you know, when you think about the, you know, I know that inflation is real, but eighteen thousand five hundred compared to some of the prices these Superbirds are going for these days. Yeah, man. You know, well, another segue for you. Uh, 
God, when was this? This I think this was in the nineties sometime, but there there was some guys that put on a Mopar car show at the uh the drag strip in Las Vegas. Um and this was before Mopar's at the strip. So everybody knows Mopar's at the strip. But this was like this this was probably five years before that. You know, it was way, way before that. Anyways, me and my buddy, it's like, yeah, let's go to Vegas. It'd be cool, cool excuse, you know, go to Vegas, go to the Mopar show, and then do the Vegas thing at night or whatever, right? And so we go there, and I shit you not, man, there was three super birds there, three of them. And two of them were for sale for 30,000 bucks a piece. And I remember thinking to myself, like, that is such a lot of fucking money. Oh, that yeah. is so, um, sorry about the F-bomb. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I thought it was a ridiculous amount of money. You know? oh, no. Like, who's got 30 grand? Who's going to pay 30 grand for a Superbird? It's badass, but 30 grand. And now you see what they are today, and it's just like, oh, I wish I bought both of them. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I've seen one $30,000 Superbird in my entire life, and it was back in high school. Um, to graduate high school, at my high school anyway, I don't know what it's like these days or back when you were in school, but you had to do a senior project. And, you know, you knew about it as a freshman, and you knew that when you were a senior, you were going to have this project. So course i wanted to do a car and i was like i'm gonna find a super bird to you know the big <laughs> big dreams freshman <laughs> yeah, so I, yeah i go online and i scour the internet and i find a super bird now i'm hoping someone out there can validate this car was for sale because i don't remember what forum or wherever i found the car but it was definitely online it was a white an alpine white 70 super bird obviously and it was $30,000. And I'm trying to remember if it was in a fire, something crazy, but it was 30 grand. And man, I wanted that car, but I was a high school kid. My dad had a hard enough time buying me a $1,500 car. So I'm like, Hey dad, what yeah. about this for the senior project? 30 grand. Yeah. You know, I was never, yeah. I was never a good salesman with my dad or I would have had all the cool Mopars. <laughs> I just, I must've just sucked. That's why I don't sell cars today, but <laughs> I, uh, I tried and then I realized, yeah, you're not getting 30 grand to go buy a project super bird. And even then, no, uh, I, even if he did for some miracle say, oh yeah, let's get it. It would probably still be in the garage <laughs> unrestored right yeah. now. You know what I mean? It's just one of those things. Right. Like those $30,000 ones. I mean, that was so far out of reach. There's just no way. And to be honest with you, as cool as super birds are, for that kind of money, like, do you know how many chargers I could own? At least back then. <laughs> At 300 you know? bucks a piece, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> I have acres full of them, you know? So, and that's where my priorities were. They were with chargers. So, it probably would have been different if a Daytona was there. But it's still, it was just, it was so far out of reach. It's just impossible, you know? But, um, yeah. So, going back to the neighborhood, the rural area i i think it was just like the planets aligned where i happened to live um it was kind of rural i'd ride dirt bikes and i would just i would just go into the hills every day get home from school and just hit the hills and just go riding you know and i had a friend up the street that had a dirt bike so he would go riding with me and we would just hit trails you know ride for hours 
Um, so the first story, my e-body stories. Yes. I'd already bought the uh, Chrysler, the 70 Chrysler, which was my first Mopar paid. I think it was 25 bucks for it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just took it apart just to see how an engine went together. You can't, with a 3D3. You can't even buy a Mopar t-shirt for 25 bucks these days. Okay. Carry on. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Uh, so my second Mopar was this Cuda, a Barracuda. And, uh, riding way out there in the hills and I'm, I'm riding down a dirt road and I can, I'm looking into this guy's yard. It's kind of similar to my 68, my first 68 charger. There was a little bit of a hill or a knoll and I could see the roof line of the car and I could just see, you know, I could kind of make out like the fenders and stuff, but I thought it was a challenger when I, when I saw it, it's just far enough away. You couldn't really get a lot of detail. You couldn't see the whole car. But I'd ride by all the time, you know, and then one day the guy's out there and I decide, ah, what the hell? I'll pull in. So I pulled in, stopped. And, uh, you know, I said, hey, you, what are you doing with that car? And he goes, oh, nothing. It was just, you know, one of the family members cars. He was driving it and it just I don't know if it quit running or they got another car or whatever. They just parked it there. And it had been sitting for years. So it had been sitting probably over 10 years. Tires were flat. The thing was covered full of dirt. You know, it had a side swipe down the passenger side, like a big crease from the fender, through the door, through the quarter panel. But other than that, bitchin' car, rust-free, complete 318 Barracuda, goldish color, black interior, column shift. And um, talking to him and stuff, and I had no money. You know, I, I'm, I'm probably, I think around 16 years old or so. You know, no job. I had to, I had to bum the 25 bucks to get the Chrysler for my dad, right? And, uh, and so I go, yeah. How much would you would you give me? He goes, I don't know. Make an offer on it, and I'm. I can't remember the back and forth, but the settling price was $65. I paid $65 for this freaking 70 Barracuda. Thank, thanks I'm for like, listening cool. to the show today, folks. So we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny, you're killing me. I One of these days, this is a long time ago, man. One of these days, I want you to write out all the cars you've ever bought for under $1,000. I want you to write out the whole list, oh, total them all up. And lot. I want to see how many cars... <laughs> And how much you paid and what the cars were. Because <laughs> I think it'll make a lot of us cry. It'll make me cry for sure. That's it's going to make me cry. Because I'm going to wish I had all these cars. You can't even but... buy a pair of NOS Barracuda emblems for $60 or $65. Dude, this car, <laughs> it was just a car to this guy. I mean, it, it was nothing. It meant nothing to him. Mopars were not, you know, they had, didn't have any prestige to them. It was just a car. You know, just like a Pinto or a Vega or a Caprice or whatever. Like to 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 these guys, I mean, you didn't have Craigslist back then. Shit, I'm not even sure. I think Recycler was around, but um, it, it's not like today. You know, if you have an old car today, people just know, even if it's a slant six four-door Valiant, they think it's worth a million dollars because they saw something on Barrett Jackson sell for a million dollars, you know, so... They think it's worth a lot of money just because it's old. But back then, these cars were what pushing, you know, 15 years old or so. And it was just an old used up car that was worn out. So because it was rural out there, people didn't 
they didn't throw their shit away. They had, you know, everybody had an acre, two acres of property, sometimes five acres of property. So when the car like broke down, they just parked it in the yard and that's where it sat, you know? And then 10 years, 15 years later, here's this kid hauling ass down the, the dirt road on a dirt bike, you know, pulling into the yard, asking if they want to get rid of that car, you know? So hey, guy who sold Johnny the Barracuda. Why didn't you just give it to him? What is $65, dude? You saw him ride in on a bike. You can just say, hey, just have the car, kid. You need it. <laughs> $65. Yeah. At that point, it's like, oh, yeah. well, how about I just buy you lunch or something? <laughs> 65 bucks. <laughs> Come on, dude. That's like. Hey, well, six, 65 bucks was worth a lot more in the 80s yeah. than it is today. That's for sure. I guess you're right. <sighs> yeah, so I ride home. And, dude, like, to get here, you know, I. We're, it's rural, right? I have no idea how to find this place through paved streets. I'm just riding out in the hills. This is like some town on the other side somewhere, right? So I go home and tell my dad. It's like, I got to borrow, you know, can you loan me 65 bucks? What do you need it for? I just bought a car. <laughs> what? Yeah, I just bought a car. We need to go get it. Can you help me pull it home? fine. He gives me the 65 bucks and he's just going to work. I'm just going to work it off. Right. So we load into his 76 Dodge van and we hit these dirt roads going out through these trails. And there's some, there's some gnarly sections where it's like, we're going through these sort of like washes coming up the other side. And the van is like spinning, you know, it's peg legs spinning like, Oh, come on, baby, make it. You know, we get all the way out there. We throw a chain on it no brakes. Uh, I think we changed a couple of tires on it and left the other tires flat so that it would, you know, it wouldn't roll into the van sure. because there was no brakes, you know, it just, we just drug it. So just dragging it, you know, with the tires just, I mean, it, it was probably five miles from the house of just like, you know, raw terrain. You dragged it, it five miles in the dirt. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah drug it all the way home did your dad did your dad ever look at you and go hey kid pick a car and let's just stay with one (laughs) luckily my dad was as bad or worse than me so he had already had a bunch of his own cars and he was already dragging shit home like the chrysler when i bought the chrysler the guy also had a station wagon uh i think it was like a 72 plymouth fury 3 station wagon big old tuna boat right this monstrosity and uh, he was selling that one, too, for 25 bucks. So my dad bought that car. That car sat in the yard for many years. I always thought about fixing it up. It had a 400 in it, but it never, never happened. Yeah, you were, and then, you were uh, preoccupied with all the charges you had. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That one was definitely a low priority. <laughs> God. But, yeah, so that's the CUDA story. Uh, well, almost. <laughs> that's the getting the CUDA story. The The sad ending to that car was that um there was a big field fire because it's rural out there this big field fire came through my parents property and it torched it torched a bunch of cars we had a bunch of cars so we lost the uh the barracuda completely burned to the ground um he had a monte carlo I thought it was a 69, but I had posted pictures and some guy said it was a 70. So I don't know, 69 or 70. 
Monte Carlo burned to the ground. A friend of mine had stored, he moved to Washington, I think, and he was storing a 72 Charger at their place. The Charger burned to the ground. Um, my dad had a 69 Plymouth Fury 3 uh, police package. It was a civil defense car. Way, way cool car, man. It had Motorola radios in it. It had the spotlight on the A-pillar. Um, I remember in the on the firewall, these huge fuses, just like a fuse box with these gigantic fuses for the radios on, the, on it. Um, and it had a, I think it, it was a, is it a TNT? Or Super Commando. Plymouth would have been a Super I think it was Commando. Super, yeah, it was a Super Commando. It had Super Commando. It had the, the um, dual snorkel on it. Nice. Uh, high performance 440 with the, the big uh, manifolds on there. You know, the hypo manifolds, which C-bodies had fins on them. But I, bitching I didn't, car. I didn't know that. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, they have their own. I think it's just the driver's side. I think the passenger side is the same as any HP motor. But on the driver's side i think it has like these extra fins cast into it hmm. they're just for sea bodies but um yeah burned to the ground unfortunately oh, man. the fire my parents called me and told me about the fire i came riding on my motorcycle you know and the fire department had blocked you know like where the paved street ended so they were like up this dirt road and around but i could see from where i was i could see the house you know and I could see the flames coming from the property next to it. And the flames were just like licking the corner of the house. And I thought, oh, my God, you know, the house is going to burn down. And uh, fortunately, it never lit. The house never lit. But all down below, all the cars in that bottom low area just got torched. And the flames came all the way up. So my dad's 68 Blue Charger, the flames came all the way up to the car, like right next to the tire. There was actually like char on the fender of the car but it didn't catch fire didn't burn i'm just like it's the only car i prayed to god don't let that car catch fire please so uh, you know luckily it didn't happen and i'm happy yeah. to say that i still have that car yeah so wow but the the cuda met its demise unfortunately hey, that, that might have been god going hey we need to dial it back dude you've got one too many yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> might be right <laughs> i understand you like chargers so the barracuda's got to go yep you got to give up something <laughs> fried the old fried fish move oh man right it's tough hearing the stories about cars that burn down actually now that you tell me your story i know a couple guys that have had some catastrophic shop mm -hmm. fires where they've lost cars and yeah i don't even know what i would do <laughs> that would be my luck is i finally get the truck and the dart running and i'm like oh we'll keep them in the garage for safekeeping and something catches fire and then i lose yeah. them both that would be my luck but well again the segues uh we go so that'll bring me to my next e-body story when i was living in quail valley well actually go back further um me and my buddy used to go there's this this skydiving place called, uh, well, it's Paris skydiving. So in Paris, California, there's a big skydiving place there. And there was a bar. Uh, what the hell was the name of it? I can't remember the name of it, but anyway, we would go there all the time and drink and hang out, whatever at this bar. Right. And there was this house like up the street from this place. Cause it's, it's pretty rural out there too. And I remember 
I don't know. I don't know if we were pulling in or if we we're walking out. Whatever the deal was, there's this rally, a '72 rally red Challenger sitting there, and a bunch of guys hanging out, and they had the hood up, and they're just bullshitting about the car. And the guy fired it up, and I was like, "Fuck, man, this thing mm-hmm. sounds good. This 340 sounded really good." So, anyways, you know, long story short, years go by. I'm living in Quail Valley, which happens to be a few miles from where this skydiving place is. I happened to walk out of my house. And now my house was like a shack. It was just, I don't even know if you could call it a house, but I just walked out. And what do I hear rolling by? I'm like, man, this thing sounds good. It's the same freaking car. It's that 72 rally red challenger and i mean well i think i moved out there around uh 96 yeah it was about 96 or so so this would have been you know mid to late 90s when this car rolled by had uh drag light weld wheels on it bitching car and i seen them a couple of times in the neighborhood and i would go because this is like another one of those little neighborhoods you want to just you're like going up and down the streets and you're like checking everybody's yards to see what's parked in the yard because everybody's got cars you know and um one day two streets over from my house i'm doing that i'm just cruising by i look over and there's the car sitting on next to this house and it's burnt to the ground and i'm like Oh my God, what the hell? So there's an old man out there. I pull in and I'm like, what happened? You know, and he's like, he goes, ah, oh, it's my son's car. He got, he started dating this girl and this girl's ex-boyfriend was jealous, got pissed. This, this guy's son, the, the owner of the Challenger was parking the car at his dad's house here in Quail Valley so that nothing would happen to it somehow this guy the boy the ex-boyfriend figured out where the car was came over threw a brick through the window and set the car on fire burned it to the ground and i'm like holy shit i go man that car was badass and he goes he was freaking out he's like i gotta get rid of this thing code enforcement's gonna get on me you know and i'm like uh I'll take it. Like, I'm like, <laughs> I go, well, how much do you want for it? And he goes, I just want it out of here. And I go, okay. And he goes, let me talk to my son first. Cause it's his son's car. So he uh, called his son up and one of the welds had got so hot it melted, but the other three were good. And so the son took, he wanted to keep the weld wheels. So he took the three good weld wheels off of it. And I just put rollers on it to get it home. And then I drug it home, but it got so hot. Like the whole, there was nothing left on the interior. The roof was all warped and stuff. It had the bulge hood and the bulge hood. It got so hot, it warped, but it was, I think it was savable. And, uh, and then of course the drivetrain. So I, I don't remember if the tranny melted on it or not. It's too long ago, but I pulled the motor out of it. I was going to hold on to it and stuff, but then I just ended up selling. I just parted it out, but I got it for free, you know, and I think I got 500 bucks for the 340 and I got like, is it a hundred bucks for the bulge hood? And then 
some guy in Vegas came all the way out in a rental car to buy the fenders off of it because the fenders were still good and had the, you know, that insert that goes on the fenders yeah. with the stripes go back yeah. on. Yeah, he bought the fenders. I think I sold them for a couple hundred bucks or something like that. But so I made money on the car. So Johnny but. gets a free Mopar and then hawks a bunch of parts and makes money. Oh. <laughs> yes. That guy, yes, I did. Man, that's rough. The guy's like, hey, keep the girl, but you're not having the girl and the car, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Throwing salt on the wounds. I'm going to throw a brick through the windshield, too, and light it on fire. That's how much. <laughs> God, man. See, now that's that's a guy's move, though. A guy knows to really yeah. get the guy, you know. You burn the car to the go ground. You, you go after his car. Exactly. Those are exactly. Those are those are fighting actions right there. Those are. Yeah. That's means for revenge. <laughs> like, hey, leave the car out of it, okay? But man. So I'll tell you another Challenger story. Get all my e-body stories out because right. I don't have many of them. Okay, let's go. So prior to this car and after the Cuda. Um, my second job ever was working for round table pizza right there in Paris. Right. And there's this, uh, there's this trailer park in there and there's this one trailer park. We got a lot of calls for to deliver pizza to. And one day I'm driving through there and there's a 72 Cuda 340 car. And I'm like, Holy shit, like totally restored bitchin' looking car, you know? And there's the house that it's, you know, in front of, um, the garage was open. I could see like an engine. I could tell it's a small block Mopar on the engine stand. Uh, but nobody was in there. So I deliver the pizza and I drive by and still nobody. It's like, all right, so I got to get back to work and get another delivery. And so every time I went there, first thing I do is beeline for that house and see if the guy was out and about. And he was a lot because it was like the garage was open all the time. And uh, finally, I'm driving by, delivered the pizza, I think, and I come back and he's in the garage. So I stop, bullshit with him. Cool guy. Um, he's He was working on a 340 on the stand. He had the Cuda there. And so got to know the guy. And every time I delivered a pizza to that that little trailer park, I would swing by his place and if he was out, I'd stop and bullshit with him. I ended up buying a cherry picker from him one time. And then one time I'd go by there and there's a black 70 challenger sitting there like a primer black challenger and uh, got to bullshit with him. And he's like, yeah, it's for sale, man. He goes, you should buy this car. And I'm like, dude, I would love to buy this car. And he goes, it's a pretty rare car. He goes, let's go for a ride. So I go, hell yeah, let's go. You know, I'm working, I'm on the clock, but I'm still jumping into this challenger with this guy. We're going around the block and he's just, you know, ripping into the car. I remember it had electrical problems because they're like all the wiring was shot and it had somebody just put all toggle switches. I mean, everything <laughs> from ignition on starter button headlights, like everything was on a toggle switch, you know, but the rest of the car was a bitchin' solid car. And he starts telling me that it's a, it's a really, it's a pretty rare car. Um, and I'm like, dude, I would love to buy this thing, but he wanted 600 bucks for it. And working at Roundtable Pizza, I think 
my paycheck for every two weeks was 200 at best. So it, you imagine, you know, gas, food, you know, I couldn't just save the 200 bucks and not have to pay for gas and I have to pay for food and stuff like that. So it was like, it'd take me forever to save up 600 bucks back then, you know? And, uh, I go, well, I'm going to try, I'm going to try. And he goes, he goes, I hope you buy it because there's another guy that wants the car. This, this would have been early nineties. This would have been between nine, like 1991 is probably when this was, this is after high school graduated in 90 and it was before I worked in Temecula in 92. So 1991 ish. And, um, he goes, the guy that wants to buy the car, he's going to just cut it up and then he's going to, he's going to part it out in the Midwest because back then you couldn't get sheet metal. There was no, nobody made any sheet metal and all the cars in the Midwest were already rusting out by then. No auto metal. And so really no auto metal directly. Exactly. No, nothing. <laughs> no, no. Was it good? Uh, good Mark. What's the other one? Good Mark. Yeah. I think good Mark was the first that started popping challenger parts, sheet metal. But back then you couldn't get it. Uh, so if you had an RT car, let's say, do there's so many like 318 cars here on the West Coast that just got sacrificed. They were just cut up to save RT cars in the Midwest, you know, beautiful, perfectly running cars. In fact, another segue for you. One of the boneyards, even, even then in the 90s, like it was hard. You'd be hard pressed to see a challenger into a, in a boneyard, right? But one day, sure shit, I'm walking through the yard and there's a 70 challenger. And you know what was left on this thing? It was an Alpine white car uh, with a 318 in it. It was almost sad because everything was cut off of this car. Everything that can be unbolted from this car was gone. So like hood, fenders, glass, doors, deck lid, all the interior pieces. Everything, everything was gone from this car. The quarter panels were cut off of it. You know, it was like the A-pillars coming up. I think part of the roof was there or maybe all of the roof was there. And like, I think even sections of the floor were cut out of this car. Like there was nothing left. You could barely tell it was a Challenger. And this poor little 318, you know, normally when they've got mileage on them, they're all greasy and grimy looking. Like this thing was practically clean. I mean, it, it wasn't perfect, but it was clean light blue you know small block mopar blue and nobody bothered to take a single part off of that poor little motor you know it still had its little two barrel on there the exhaust manifolds were on it valve covers <laughs> everything was on this engine nobody wanted a single part off of the engine but the rest of the car wow. gone yeah but so anyways uh back to the the challenger the challenger was a 340 car and I didn't realize it at the time. He told me it was a rally, a rally challenger, which I always thought rally is 72 and three, four, you know, but he said it's a rally challenger. And it wasn't until years later, one of John's friends, uh, Mark, he had, he's got a bunch of Mopars. This guy's got some cool stuff, but one of the cars he has is the same kind of car that this car was. It's a, it's a A66 code rally challenger, 1970 only. So it was a 340 car that had, it was like an RT, it had all the RT shit on it. You know, it had the RT bulge hood, it had the 150 speedo, it had 
everything that an RT would get, but because it was a small block, it didn't get the RT badge. So I think they made about just under 7,000 of these cars. Yeah. Total. I remember doing some research on them, but that was the one um, designation to know that it was a true 340 car that had all the RT options was the A66. Right. Yeah. 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 So I, I couldn't come up with the 600 bucks, man. So I assume that car got cut up and is part of a bunch of other Mopars out there in the Midwest somewhere. See, now here's the strategy that I would have taken. I would have been like 600 bucks. You know, that's reasonable. But let's go ahead and knock off $25 for each effing toggle switch you have in this thing. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I could smuggle out some pizzas too. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Extra pepperoni. (laughs) Yeah, man, that's rough. But hey, you can't you can't have them all, Johnny. Sorry, buddy. No. No, that was one that slipped away. The funny thing is, is I didn't know it at the time, but that guy, um, after comparing notes with one of my best friends, he's got a 69 Roadrunner. He's, he still has to this day, and he's had it all the way back since high school. So his neighbor was this guy. This guy used to live in his same neighborhood, and he drug home. He asked him, because my buddy was a Mopar guy, and his dad had Roadrunners, right? And he's like, hey, I got a 69 Roadrunner. Do you want to buy it? And my buddy Eric was like, hell yeah. How much? And it was like, I think it was a thousand. I, I think it was like 1200 bucks or, or 1500 bucks. And so my buddy was like, I'm going to buy it. And then he he was making, he was saving up the money to get it, get the car off of him. Right. So every penny he got from work, he saved towards this car. And I, of course, I'm like thinking, are you kidding me, dude? That's too much money. A thousand dollars, you know, I'm used to paying a hundred or 200 bucks for a car. So (laughs) (laughs) it seemed like a ridiculous price to me, but he wanted that car pretty bad. And he, he ended up saving the money up. And then I think, uh, I think the guy went through a divorce or something and he was like, I gotta, I gotta get it. I need to sell this car. I'm leaving the house. Like, you know, what do you got so far? And I think my buddy had like 11 or 1200 bucks. He didn't have the full price amount, but he was close and he says, I'll take it. So he took the money and my buddy's had that car since, but it's just funny. It's this, it was the same guy. So, and that had all happened in the late eighties, you know, and then it was the early nineties when I met him and potent almost when I met him and he had the challenger, I'm not going to say I could have had it because it was just still too much money. I never, never had enough to buy it, you know, but yeah, it's crazy. Small world. Yeah. That's, I've been running into that a lot lately. Like people that know people that you're just like, how is that even possible? But yeah. All right, folks, that concludes part one of my conversation with my buddy Johnny Mopar. We talked to Mopars for over two hours, so I decided to make this a two-part episode. So you'll be getting part two next Monday, and I also wanted to mention that I feel silly about this, but in between my move from my old office into my new office slash podcast studio, I seem to have mixed, I don't know how I did this, but I mixed together all of my shared Mopar stories that you guys submitted with all of the unshared stories that were submitted. 
So now I have to go through and figure out which stories I've already shared and which ones I still have left to share. So that's going to take me a few days at least. And I'm going to compile a list. That way I have all the people's names and stories and this doesn't happen again. So my apologies to anybody who's still waiting for their story to be shared. It will be shared. Just give me a little bit of time. Give me another week or so and we'll get back to the way things were. I know things are crazy in the world and I guess they're crazy here too. I tried to prevent it, but I guess sometimes you just get wrapped up. So I'm going to take care of that. Until then, enjoy this episode and part two will be out next Monday. So we will talk again next week. Same Mopar time, same Mopar channel. So there you have it, folks. Another episode of Talking Mopars is in the books. For more information about this podcast or to listen and subscribe to the show, please visit TalkingMopars.com. And don't forget that you can still send me your stories, questions, comments, complaints, suggestions, and everything else on your Mopar addicted mind to Chris at TalkingMopars.com or leave me a voice message on my voicemail box at 209-28-MOPAR to hear yourself on this show. We also have some merch in the Talking Mopars merch shop where you can purchase cool things like t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, mugs, and more. So if you want to help support the show and get some cool stuff, in return, jump on over to TalkingMopars.com and visit the shop. That's it, my friends. Until we talk again, I am your host, Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopars Direct Connections. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopars, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind.